Now, let's jump into Mark. We're in the second sermon on Mark, and um, so open your Bibles. Let's start there. Open your Bibles. If you have a smartphone, open your Bible on your smartphone. Turn off Candy Crush. Turn off Facebook. Go to your Bible app and look at Mark 1, 12 to 20. Mark 1, 12 to 20. Now, Mark is going to be straight to the point. In fact, if you've been reading Mark, you might note this word immediately. Immediately, immediately, immediately is normally something that moms say or dads say to children when they're urgent and a little bit upset, right? That's about the only time we ever hear that word for the most part, right? I guess it could be in a book, immediately afterwards. But normally it's, get in here immediately. And, you know, you think it's your name when your mom's mad at you. Well, Mark uses the word immediately all over the place, why does he do that? Um, this, is, this comes from a Greek word that has a range of meanings. It, it, so don't let it distract you as you study Mark this year, okay? The immediately, it's a stylistic thing that this writer does. Um, this, the word has a range of meanings, so it could, this could even be interpreted then or next or straight away. Right? So what you have is Mark is an action-packed guy. We already said he doesn't give many details. He's like, this is what I want to say. And he doesn't give time in between events. So there'll be something happen, and then there'll be time in between, but he'll still begin it with immediately. So most likely, in English, probably the best way to translate that is going to be, by context, something like, and then... Like if you're telling a story, you say, well, this happened, that was important, and then, or perhaps even, and then next, listen to this, next, it's kind of like that. So let's jump in, and we're going to see some immediately. It's like 40-something times, I think, in the Gospel of Mark. I don't know. I didn't count. Uh, verse 12, the Spirit, this is after Jesus came out of the water of baptism, um, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. You can just hear how that language is active. The Spirit's driving Jesus out. It's not, not like this, <laughs> um, but pushing him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days. So think camping trip without provisions. Being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and angels were serving him or ministering to him. So in these first couple, we're going to go all the way to verse 20, but I'm going to take a break right there. Um, Jesus is submissive to the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit um, descends on him like a dove in the waters. He comes out and the Spirit says, okay, let's get busy. We're going into the wilderness. Jesus' ministry is not random. He doesn't figure things out as he goes. He's completely guided by God. He is on a very specific mission and he will be spirit-led every single day. But before he gets started ministering, the Spirit has him be baptized, and the Spirit now has him going into the wilderness, which makes us all scratch our head as to why. Um, why exactly did Jesus have to spend a 40-day hard, hard knocks camping trip out in the wilderness by himself with wild animals? The point of the wild animals is there were dangers there. Uh, somebody showed me just before the service, um, and my wife's in this service, uh, so this is the first time she's hearing, that, that, hearing this, that, that someone got a video of a bear running across my lawn, and um, 
And she showed it to me. It was awesome. There was a bear, Lori. There was a bear running across our lawn. And I think that's the coolest thing. I missed it. Thank God for that. But if I'm living in the lawn, if I'm living on the lawn, it's not as cool if bears are roaming. So Jesus is in the wilderness, wild animals. Why is he there? Well, it reminds us of Moses. And I I don't think it's a stretch to say it's supposed to remind us of Moses. Um. God alluded to Israel as being his son, not a lot, but a little in the Old Testament. And he took his son, if you will, into into the wilderness when Moses brought, if we can call it his son, Israel, out of Egypt. The Hebrews were slaves. He brought them into the wilderness before they went to the promised land. You remember that story? If you don't... um, uh, don't wait for the movie, <laughs> read the book. <laughs> they went out into um, the wilderness and, and instead, and it was a test for the people. If the people had been faithful, it would have been a short visit. We don't know how long, maybe 40 days. And they would have cruised right into the promised land. But instead, they failed the test. They were not faithful to their God. They sinned all the time, complained all the time, and worshiped other gods. So they actually went on a 40-year death march. And then a new generation raised up who were faithful, and they went into the land. And, and so now Jesus, God's true son, not symbolic son, his, his son is also led into the wilderness. He likewise is tested by Satan. The other gospels, um, Luke and Matthew, give more detail on that testing. Mark doesn't. He just wants you to know it happened. So that's all we're going to talk about. Satan came and blasted him. Do you think you could take Satan's temptation full blast? I don't think so. Um, If you think about the times you fall into sin, if I think about the times I fall into sin, uh, did Satan really have, whoa, almost went down. Did Satan, see, see how easy it is? If you think about the times you fell into sin, um, Did it really take that much? Did Satan have to work that hard? He probably didn't show up. He sent some, one of his minor junior imps to come and tempt you and bam, you fell into sin. Jesus faced Satan full on, full temptation and he did not fail the test. He did not stay 40 years in the wilderness. He stayed 40 days. He was tested by his body being hungry because he didn't eat. He was tested um, by dangers, he was also tested by Satan, and he passed the test. And in forty days, I guess the angels fed him, and um, and that was it. So as we follow this story, Jesus pops up after thirty years of being anonymous, and he goes to John, the famous preacher, and he says, "You need to baptize me." John says, "You've never sinned. Why are we doing this? Just do it." He's baptized. Um, for repentance, though he'd never sinned. And then his next step is he goes into the wilderness where he's tested by Satan, and then he he passes the 40-day test. So, so far, he's been on his own, a lone wolf. (laughs) He works by himself. But his next step is he's going to minister to us, he's going to teach us, and he's going to die for us. And along the way, he's going to pick up some help. So, The next step on his ministry is to start to teach us things and to heal us and to die for us. So that's where we jump in at chapter, uh, verse 14. Now, after John the baptizer was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God 
and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. John the baptizer, after living freely in the wilderness and then preaching for we don't know how long, getting quite a following, finally Jesus comes and, and then he says, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And after that, shortly after that, he's arrested. He's arrested by Herod because he told him, you're not allowed to marry your sister. No kidding. Um, or something like that. And, and so he gets arrested and his ministry comes to a, a screeching halt. It's at an end right then. Jesus then heads up north to Galilee and starts to preach there. Remember, John was in the south. Jesus heads up north. But John's ministry is over. He had fulfilled his purpose. He did what he came to do. And and what was it he came to do? He came to be a living sign. What are signs for? Signs aren't things. They point to things, right? A stop sign... (laughs) points to a stop. Uh, a thing with a curvy thing on the road is not a curvy thing on the road. It, it says there's a curvy thing on the road. John's entire life was he was a sign. It was a living sign saying Jesus is, the Messiah is coming. There he is. And then once Messiah arrived, well, what do you need the sign for? You don't need it anymore. John's finished. That's it. He's done. Now, he's a young man. He's the same age as Jesus. He's six months older. And, um, and yet, he's out of a job. Or three months older. Or I don't remember. Three or, three or six. But in any case, Jesus is starting his ministry. You'd think he could use a good man like John the Baptist, don't you? I mean, if you're starting a ministry, you want good men. Why not John the Baptist? He'd be a good helper. He could be a good itinerant preacher for you. He could be an, a good apostle. He doesn't get any of those jobs. Instead, what happens to John by the plan of God? He's removed from the scene. And he's quickly, utterly removed from the scene because he'll get his head lopped off shortly after getting arrested. So his life is spent as a sign to say that Jesus came, and as soon as Jesus comes, that's it. Life over. You did what you came to do. That's the end of you. You say, well, he didn't really get to live his life, did he? Well, it's not his life. It's his life. Right? One of the first rules of, 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 of understanding God as a human is realizing It's not my life, it's his life. He gave me the life, he can do what he pleases with it. Each one of us who are Christians are called to live in a similar way to John. You live for a purpose and then that's it. When you're done, off the scene. Romans 14, 7 says this, none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. Paul is saying it does not matter if we live or if we die, as long as we are fulfilling our purpose in Christ. We belong to him. Many, many people know about Jesus. Jesus is the most famous man in the history of 
of history. <laughs> um, there's no more famous man. And people all over the world know about Jesus. Uh, the Muslims know about Jesus. The Buddhists know about Jesus. The Hindus know about Jesus. Atheists know about Jesus. Communists know about Jesus. And Christians know about Jesus. Everybody knows about Jesus. But some people know Jesus. You can know about him or you can know him. You can go to church and you can know about him or you can know him. There are people in churches this weekend all over the world, Christian churches, who don't know Christ. Hopefully that's not the case with most of us here. But I think one of the differences, well, let me, let's, this is in our map, so let me just read it instead of say it. One of the primary differences between those who know Jesus and those who simply claim to know him is that those who know Jesus have a sense of mission. You got this sense that I'm here for a reason. I'm not here to live my life my way, but to live their lives, not for themselves, but for the glory of the Savior. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for we, for by grace you have been saved by faith and not that, not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast, right? We're saved by grace. But Ephesians 2, 10, the very next verse, the reason you are saved, or one of the reasons, one of them, and this one matters because from the moment you, before you're saved, you're obviously lost and in your Dead spiritually, the Bible says, you're under the domain of darkness. You need to be transferred into the kingdom of God. You need to be made alive spiritually. You need to be born again. So you make that move from here to here, from darkness to light. From that moment, if you looked at your life as a timeline, right, and timelines go from here to there, from that point on your timeline on, everything is supposed to change. And the main thing is, you no longer live for you. That's supposed to change. And then you just live for him. Here it is, Ephesians 2.10. For we, and by his he means we the saved. He does not mean everyone on the planet. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. To have my best life now. No. No. So I have a God I can call on whenever I'm in a jam. No. I mean, you do, but that's not why. So he can bless my plans. No. You were creating Christ Jesus for good works, but not just any, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Remarkable care that God has for you. Before time, he set set you aside to be saved. Before time, he planned to send his son to die for you. Before time, he has a plan for what you'll look like in heaven. And before time, he, he tailored your life specially, uniquely, that you may accomplish a specific purpose meant for you alone. If you're a believer, listen, he gave his life for you, right? But you have to give your life to him. Salvation is free. It's absolutely free. Who did the work? Jesus. Who who was God? Took on flesh, walked among us. Jesus. Who had no sin, but identified with us by being baptized? Jesus. Not you. Who lived a perfect life, loved people perfectly, 
and taught perfectly from heaven. Who healed the sick? Who showed the glory of God perfectly? Not you, Jesus. Who died to pay for all your sins? Not you, Jesus. Who rose from the dead? Jesus. Who promised to give you the Holy Spirit? Jesus. Who gives you faith? Jesus. Who will raise you from the dead at the end of all time? Jesus. Who does all the work? Jesus. Salvation is absolutely free. This is all a free package deal given to you. Costs you nothing. But (laughs) there's a catch. (laughs) If you can call it a catch. You have to give him your life. That's the deal. You've got to trade who you are to get it. And that's why a lot of people thinking it through go, no, it's too much. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to fly my freak flag, John the Baptist. (laughs) I'm not going to put a sticker on my car. Not that a sticker means anything, but you know what I mean. They say, I'm not going to go to church. Or at least I'm not going to go to one of those churches that tells me I have to give everything. Ephesians 2.10, for you are his workmanship, his creation, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works. And then it says, well, well, first, you're created for good works. What does that mean? First, it means what you're created for is good. You might have, you've been bad. You've been bad. <laughs> but now you're saved. And what you're created for is good. That's a great change. That's a great exchange, I think. Right? I was bad, and now I can do good. But it also works. I don't just walk around being shiny, nice boy. It's work. It takes my time. It takes my effort. It takes my resources. It takes my life. How much of it? 20%, 30%, 10%? No, 100% of my life now only has one reason. You become like John the Baptist the moment you're saved, who only had one purpose in his life. You just don't have the advantage of knowing exactly what it is. He did. But it's, it's like that. <laughs> and how long will you live? Till you're done. Till you're done. This is why God is so serious with true Christians who run from him and sin. Why their lives are miserable. This is why so many people who are not saved think they are. Because they think, well, I know about Jesus and I go to church. Sorry. You have to be owned by him. But if you are running according to the, to the plan he has for you and he's guiding you, you know when you die, when you're done. You will not, don't worry about when you die, Christian. You will not die until you're finished if you're faithful. So you don't have to sit around worrying about death. Well, you say, what if I'm finished in a week? Well, then, you, won't, you don't have anything to worry about. In a week, all your problems go away. When you're done, he removes you from the planet. Some people, some Christians grow very old and they outlive everybody they know. And I've talked to more than one of them. They normally say, why am I still here? The answer is the same for someone who's 100 asking that question as to someone who's 10. You're still here because you still have something to do. Don't feel bad. Do not pity John the Baptist. His strange, solitary lifestyle served a very great purpose. And his reward in heaven is great. He's not complaining. In fact, as strange as it may sound, it's a very good day on the planet 
when a servant of Jesus comes to the end of an obedient life. It may be sad for a, sem- for a while for those he leaves behind, but not forever. But it's a good day. Because it means you're done. You, the clock, clock went off. I've been fighting this fight, running this race, working this work, doing my best. Done. I can go home now. That's a good thing. Look again to verse 14 and 15 of our text. It said, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. So he goes back up north where he's from, and he proclaims the gospel, which is glad tidings or good news of God, saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Now that's a summary of what he said. He, he did a lot of teaching, lots and lots of teaching. Most of it not recorded. Much of it is recorded in Luke and in Matthew and in John. Mark just gave the Cliff Notes version. But the time is fulfilled. What does that mean? It means earth was ripe. History was ripe. God, from the time Adam and Eve fell into sin, and sin overtook the, 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 the human race, God had a plan to send his son, and, and it, he was not going to do it a moment before he should have or a moment later. It was just the right moment. It was time for Jesus to come like a lightning bolt that changes history, and he did. And, and the world's never been the same. So Jesus is the one declaring, now's the time, <laughs> We were pregnant for salvation as a sinful race. Boom, now's the time to be saved. Since it is now the time, there's an urgency. And notice that Jesus is, is, what's the first job of Jesus in all his ministries? It is not healing, not walking on water, not doing tricks with fish and bread. It is not casting out demons. What is it? He's a preacher. His number one ministry is a preacher. He preaches. He proclaims. That's how he begins. And he does it all the way till he's done. Why is his number one job a preacher if he came to save us? Answer, because salvation comes by hearing a message and believing it. Now, the work of salvation is the cross. The message has no power if Jesus does not die. (laughs) He said he came to save. If he didn't do the work of saving, dying on a cross for our sins, then there is no salvation. It's like the guy who's promising you, I'm going to take you to Disney World. Trust me, I'm going to take you to Disney World. But he never forks out the dough. He's just saying it. Sounds like good news, but it's not. Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn, but to save. And then the work is done when he dies and he raises again. But... The access to that salvation comes through a message, and a message must be preached. That's why he preaches. Salvation comes by hearing a message. This is the Christian gospel that's been messed up by churches and denominations for centuries, but it's always preserved somewhere. And thank God in America, what a great country, we have a rich tradition of evangelicalism, which is the idea that we're here to proclaim a message that is to be believed. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Salvation comes by hearing. So I think in our, in our map, let's get this big point down. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are the work that won our salvation. But how is our salvation accessed by faith? 
So just because he died for you doesn't mean you're saved. Just because he died for you doesn't mean you're saved. Uh, there's a lot of good Calvinist versus Arminian arguments here. I'm not going to waste my time wrangling over words now. <laughs> I'm just going to make it biblical here. <laughs> the, just because he died for you doesn't mean you're saved. Just because he did the work doesn't mean you get the benefit. You must access it. Think of it like this. There's a dad who works hard his whole life. He raises his kid. He sends his kid to college. He's a good kid. He likes the kid. So he puts money in the kid's bank account. Right? Who did the work? Dad. Whose money is it? Dad's. Did the kid earn it? No. But it's in the bank. Can the kid spend it if he doesn't access it? No. He's going out with his buddies. He needs some money. (laughs) My dad did the work. It's grace. It's free. It's all there in the bank. So give me a slice of pizza. And the dude's like, sorry, I need to see some green. So that's why he's given an ATM card. (laughs) He goes to the ATM machine to access it. Faith is like your ATM card. It, It didn't put the money there. You didn't pay for your own sins, but if you will not receive it by faith, you don't get it. And so here is Jesus saying, now is the time, folks. The kingdom of God is right now. Therefore, you better repent, right? That's what John said. They knew that. But then he had something better. And believe in this great news. So it's happy. It's a lot happier message than John's. John's like, Jesus is coming, or the Messiah is coming, and you, you better be scared. Repent. Jesus is, says, well, Messiah's here, <laughs> and you better repent and believe some great news. I got some great news for you. You're going to be saved. So, but repentance is still part of the equation. Why? How do you get saved? Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. You are not the way. I am not the way. So all my life, I go, whose way? My own. Then I meet Jesus, and he says, I'm the way, which means what do I do with my way? I have to set it aside. That, every Christian who is saved has that experience. And I don't care if they get saved when they're five. They're going their way, (laughs) they're born again, and they realize, I have to go his way. What do I do with my way? I ditch it because it's filled with sin and self-centeredness. That's called repentance. Repentance in in Greek, metanoia. I only say the Greek not to show off just because it's a cool word, metanoia. It's fun to say. You might want to say it. Metanoia, you know, (laughs) big noia. (laughs) Um, You can insult someone and say, hey, you're a metanoia, and they won't know what you mean. But what it means is to change your mind, to make a decision. What's the decision? Repent. I'm going to stop going my way. I'm going to go his way. And that's what John told these people. The Messiah is coming. You people ain't ready. You need to leave your sin. What you're repenting of is sin, evil, faithlessness, the bad things you do, the bad things you celebrate. Stop it. Change your mind. And John said, I baptize you with water for that. And that's where it ends. And that's where, unfortunately, many people's Christianity often ends. They think that's all it's about, is repenting and being good. Those people are no fun. Billy 
Joel said, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than, than cry with the saints. Well, that's because he didn't know any real saints. He knew, he must have known people who said, don't do that, you have to be good. Why? I don't know. We just have to repent. John said, I baptize in water, but one is coming after who baptizes in what? The Holy Spirit. When you repent and then believe the good news of Jesus Christ, guess what happens? God's Holy Spirit <laughs> baptizes you. Do you like that sound effect there? <laughs> That's what it's like. <laughs> you just... <laughs> I want you to search your own hearts today. I think this is in our map. I'm going to read it. If it's not, say, wow, that was profound. But <laughs> or not. I don't ask you if you go to church. I don't ask you if you prayed to receive Jesus. Because we can think both of those make you a Christian, and they don't. Instead, I ask, have you repented? Have you surrendered your life? Exchanging it for a God-directed life? Or is your life still your own? Now, that is receiving Jesus. But sometimes we've got to break down the definition because people think receiving Jesus is just praying a prayer. No, receiving Jesus breaks down to surrendering of your life and exchanging it for the Holy Spirit and a God-directed life. Or is your life still your own? And I'm asking you to measure yourself right now. Let's move on to the rest of our passage and then we'll finish up. Verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, their brothers, uh, what well, says that? Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. That's like our men's retreat theme. That's where we got it. Anyone can catch fish. How do I know? I can catch fish, and I'm not a good fisherman. Better to be a fisher of men, where you change souls. And immediately they left their nets and followed them. So there's that immediately. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, I'm not going to give the details. This is not the first time he met these four people. Go read the Gospel of John. You'll see he met them all before this call. Many things happened, but this is the way Mark is. I'm not going to get bogged down in the details. What I want you to see, Mark seems to be saying, is the first thing Jesus did after he did the baptism thing alone and the testing in the wilderness thing alone and he waited for John to get arrested, the first thing he did was get co-workers. That's what I want you to see. And the big four, the big four, Peter and his brother, John and his brother, not John the Baptist, John the Gospel writer. They're the big four. The four of them were in business together. We learned that in another gospel. They were all fishermen. And he said, I want you to give up that business. I got a whole different way. You're going to fish for men. And he begins that ministry by forming a group. And those four began following him, and they followed him all the way. All the way. And their stories are heroic, although they're ordinary men. Okay, that's our text for today. What's our application? Mainly this, following Jesus means joining him in his work. Following Jesus means joining him in his work. There is not two levels of Christianity, the civilian and the soldier, the laity and the clergy. I don't even like that word. I'm clergy, you're laity. That's not even right. That's not right. 
<laughs> Tradition has invented that. It's not even a good way to talk. There's not two levels. The people who, who, who believe are, and then a subset of them will actually do something for Christ in the kingdom. I want you to hear me because I know culturally this is hard to get through your heads. And it's not an insult. We're all equally intelligent. I'm saying our culture blinds us to this. We create a cultural Christianity that allows you to say a prayer, say you believe, go to church, never work for the kingdom, and think that you're a Christian. You either aren't one or you are one and are disobedient. That's why your life stinks. That's the truth. Following Jesus means you join his work. You've been saved by grace through faith. Why? You are his workmanship. You can't say, well, I don't know enough. Look, God made a work just for you. I can't do your work. And you can't do mine. In other words, there is a, the main type of Christianity we're norm, we normally see is the please bless me, Lord. It's kind of a humble thing. I am a sinner. I'm needy. Please bless me, Lord. Lord, I'm taking this job. Please bless me, Lord. Lord, I'm, I, my kids are going on a trip. Please bless them, Lord. Lord, I'm broke. Please bless me, Lord. Lord, my dad's got cancer. Please bless him, Lord. God, I've got these plans. Please bless us, Lord. And that's your fit Christianity. And, and, and we do it thinking we're clean, not realizing it's a 100% self-directed mindset. That'd be like Peter saying, Lord, bless me as I, as I mend these nets so I don't have to buy new nets. Nets are so expensive. I want to be a good steward of the nets. Lord, bless me. And he says, follow me. He says, excuse me, Lord, I'm praying to you. Lord, please bless the fish, that there be many fish in the pond so we can get the fish so I can do what Dave Ramsey says and be a millionaire with a million fish and, and then be a good steward of my million fish and, and bless me. Give me health insurance, Lord, bless me. And Jesus is standing there with a tap in his foot going, um, drop the net, Jack. His name's not Jack. <laughs> I want you to follow me. You say, well, that's just for the apostles. Well, it would be just for the apostles if Jesus didn't say things. Like, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. So it's you. You're mending your net when he came. What did you leave? This can be hard to grasp, but we have to trade in our bless me faith for a following and working faith. You might ask, and, and, and honestly, look, the life of many and most Christians I know is a bless me faith. I go to the Christian bookstore, which are all closed now, and it's bless me books. I go to Sam's Club and look at the Christian section, they're all bless me books. How I can be happy, how I can have this, how I can have that. What's wrong with that? What is wrong with that? I'm going to tell you. Actually, I won't. Jesus poses a question. Ready? He says, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, rotten little kid, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and he said the same thing. And he answered, you bet, sir, I'm going to go. But he didn't go. Which of the two did the will of his father? Can I, can, can I have permission to ask you a tough question for you to ask yourself? Okay. 
Do you have a bless me faith? Or do you have a following and working faith? Jesus spoke this parable to teach us religious people. You see, (laughs) in the time it was Judaism, but it could have been just as well it works with Christianity. The one son says, yeah, I'm a good Christian. I go to synagogue. I'm a good Pharisee. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm on your side. You know it. What's he do for the Lord? Doesn't do what he says. The other one is a lousy sinner who realizes, what am I doing? He repents. He goes the Lord's way and does it. The sinner then is looked down on by the religious guy. I know him. He's a jerk. Where I've been in church. Have you ever seen this pattern? Have you? Which one are you? The sinner who repents and works? Or the Christian who talks a good game, but truth be told, nothing in your life is lived for the purpose of furthering the kingdom of God or doing whatever work he prepared for you. You just go to work, you just do what you do, and all you ever think about when you pray is, God, please bless what I'm doing. Please think that question through seriously right now. Your mortal reality depends on it. The future of your life depends on it. Your joy in Christ depends on it. This is a good time to jump in the come grow with us path that your your campus pastors are telling you about. These, in case you're trying to figure it out, are four events. And we want all the newcomers to come to Y Harvest, but anyone can come. Membership comes during this process. There's four events. If you're sitting in any campus saying, okay, I think... I might be in the bless me faith. I don't really live for the purpose of Christ. Go to the Y Harvest. Start at the beginning. You know, I'm already a member. I don't care. This is more important than that. What is the the fate of the religious son in that parable? Well, I don't know. (laughs) Except if I look elsewhere in Matthew... I see this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. It's not the doing of the will, but it is the laying down of the life that causes you to do the will because you're saved. The one who does the will will enter the kingdom of heaven, not the one who says Jesus is Lord. It's the one who says Jesus is Lord and does it. Remember how how Jesus ended that question. He said, which one of the two did the will? The religious guy who said, yeah, I believe all the right stuff and does nothing. Or the sinner who says, what am I doing? Turns around and walks with Christ. Which one are you? Brothers and sisters in Christ, every single one of us here, every single one of us, you included, were called with a tailored, specific purpose. If you're living your life your way, If sin is whatever you want to do, those are the sins that are okay. (laughs) But even if you think you're avoiding the big sins, whatever those are, you're not avoiding the biggest one, which is submission. Jesus submitted to the Holy Spirit from the beginning. The Holy Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. Did he argue? No. Between now and the day you die, do you see a plan Do you have a purpose? If if you had to answer this question, 
What is my purpose in the kingdom of God? What is my purpose? What is the work that God has set aside for me to do? Most of us have no better than a general direction and a willingness to do it. Well, I shouldn't say most. If you have that, you're good. Then your prayer should be, God, direct my steps. But I am certain that if we all look at our hearts, there are some who need to to face the truth. I have a bless me faith. I've never thought that it's my job to work for him from now on. I'd even go farther. If there are some who say, well, if, if that's the kind of faith this church teaches, that it's my job to work for Christ from now on, then I want nothing to do with it. Here's what I'd say to you. Go. Because it's worse for your soul to stay if that's your point of view. Go. This is a big question. Why do you exist on earth? You have your own answer, and it's not what you want it to be. Well, I want God to do this. I don't care. I mean, I care, but I don't care. That's not the issue. It won't help you. Well, if everyone would be nice to me, don't victimize yourself. Why do you exist? Ephesians 2.10 says... There's an answer specific for you. For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. God doesn't lie. If he prepared them, they're prepared, and you are a worker. Do you see yourself that way? What is your purpose? God... Love, by the way, it's exciting to give all. It's exciting to give all. I don't want to leave you with me just praying for you. I think something this important, it'd be good if you had someone who's in this room who will personally pray for you. What's the prayer? God If you know you've given yourself to Christ and you work for him, God, am I on the path? Would you show me the way? If you know you're in sin, it could be, can I tell you, my friend? You may be telling someone today, I've been doing the sin and I gotta stop it so I can get. But if you've been living a bless me faith, it could be, it's time for me to repent. It could be you getting saved. Or giving up rebellion, one or the other. Or being the son who said, yeah, I'll do it and does nothing. And it'd be good if someone here could pray for you. So at this time, I'm going to invite all the campus pastors at all the campuses to come up and lead that prayer time. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.